As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Modes of Mouth podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. Hello, my name is Tim Sylvie and today we're joined by a man who flirted with a career in rugby, music and acting before moving into writing, directing and presenting on the telly. He's even appeared in the jungle on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. He was born and raised in Southall, London and did you know, Harry Benjamin, that Southall was not always the bustling and vibrant part of London we know today, but a rural village with a Tudor manor house at its heart dating all the way back to 1587. Over the years, it evolved and grew with the likes of a ceramics factory popping up in 1877. And to this day, you can collect the items made in that factory founded by the Martin brothers, and the collection is now known as Martinware. It boomed commercially with the likes of Quaker Oats and many others and turned into the melting pot we see today. Anyway, enough of my Southall-based ramblings. Harry, how are you? Where, where do you get these facts from? <laughs> Each week, you but, come up with something more random. Just make them up. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, oh, well, that's all true. It's all true. Well, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to get a bit of a history lesson before we, we dive into uh, the main bulk of the podcast. But I'm well, thank you. Uh, lots uh, going on uh, at the start of our, our brand new podcast season. Of course, not too long to wait till the F1 season's back underway, but there's lots of racing going on either way as well. Um, for those who are uh, not just Formula One inclined, it's always exciting. Uh, how are you? Not bad. Enjoying this beautiful frosty morning that we have here today. Um, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm okay. Delightful. Yeah. Um, well, um, should we just crack on and introduce today's guest? I think so. So I'm, re- I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to go for this. The, our intro is normally a bit longer, but I really want to dive into it. So today <laughs> we're joined by Nick Knowles. Now, Nick might seem like a strange choice for a motorsport podcast. However, if you take a quick look at his Twitter timeline, you'll quickly realise he's more than a passing fan. And we chatted to him briefly off air, and he's actually a mega fan. And we'll come into that shortly. We're here to learn more about the man, his views and opinions. Nick Knowles, welcome to this very special edition of the Motormouth podcast. Uh, lovely to see you. Thanks very much for having me. Um, that was a lovely trip down memory lane with your history of Southall. Did you know those facts? I did. Well, the Manor House was right next door to my primary school, which was St Anselm's Primary School. So the Manor House you were talking about was right next door. And I know that because they used to have a massive aviary and I used to go around and see all the, all the, the really weird birds in this massive aviary that they had next door. 
What else did you mention? The pottery. Uh, I didn't actually know about the pottery, to be honest. Martin I probably Square. would have replaced that with all of us going up the canal at the end of our council estate and jumping in the canal. For swimming. <laughs> nice. Which, were all, which all our parents said you mustn't do because it's too dangerous. And we all did pretty much every day. It was sunny. Good lads. Good lads. Brilliant. Well, are you still in sunny London or have you moved pastures new? You know, I spent all my life in London, um, apart from living abroad. I used to I used to be a news journalist. So um, I ran newsrooms in, um, uh, new, in like Australia and America and various other places. But apart from that, always in London. And then about four years ago, um, I basically got just fed up with the traffic and everything, moved out into the Cotswolds. So I'm oh. now one of those people who lives out in near Sirencester and Cheltenham. So it's sort of chocolate box Cotswold territory, which oh. is very beautiful. And it's also, Cotswolds is pretty much Formula One heartland as well in terms of, you know, where people live. And yeah. I used to bump into Christian Horner in the pub, but after my recent Twitter comments, probably you won't say hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into those. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Cotswolds, love it. That, that's where I'm, I've been pestering my wife for us to move to the Cotswolds for ages. I love it there. Um, Our very next DIY West in about three weeks' time is in Kettering. I'm actually, uh, actually, not three weeks' time, it's this, this weekend. We're moving, we're going up there to do a big DIY West this weekend, so. Nice. That, yeah, Kettering is nice. Let's talk about that though a bit more before we dive into the most world, because of course you are a very familiar face uh, to our to UK TV viewers, starring on the likes, of, of course, DIYSOS, uh, Who Dares Wins, uh, Five Star Family Reunion, and loads more. We mentioned um, you though about your career in music as well and sport. How did you settle though into broadcasting? Where did that come from? Um, well, I travelled around playing rugby first of all because I wanted to be a rugby player, but I wasn't. I wasn't good enough to make the grade. I was good enough to be a reasonably high standard, but wasn't good enough to be like a Premiership player or an international. So um, that wasn't possible. But with the travelling, I ended up doing. I did some work as a researcher for the BBC in London, and then when I went to Australia, I basically lied about my qualifications and got a job on on a, on a sort of local news station there. Became a, a local news reporter and then a news anchor and then started making documentaries in Australia and then went to America and did other stuff there. And I basically wasn't good at anything else. I'd like to have been good at other things, but and, 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 you know, six foot two and uh, 18 stone, I was never going to be a wow. racing driver. So <laughs> my, my son, actually my middle son, TJ is unbelievably quick. And when he was a kid, he used to do, he used to do a lot of kart racing and he ended up um, when he was about 14 doing stuff with the silver arrows um, trainings teams up at Mercedes. Oh, cool. Um, and it was looking like he was going to uh, head in the right direction. Unfortunately, like me, he then put on a spurt when he was about 15. He's now six foot four wow. and, and can't race cars. Well, can't race anything small anyway. So, God, but we still go out. We, we still go out and, and race a lot. So, um, we still have a lot. My youngest, who's seven, has just taken up kart racing and is, and is absolutely lovely at racing. His, his, his brother is 26 and... Uh, and me, so it's really lovely watching my 26-year-old teaching my seven-year-old uh, to to race carts and building up his speed and getting to know how to work. That's it. so, so cool. We, my, I've got a six-year-old, and he did his first karting experience uh, in the summer last year. Absolutely loved it. Immediately got the bug, which is slightly terrifying from a financial perspective. And hopefully, he loses interest quickly. But um, it, <laughs> it's a cool thing to do. We've actually got a we've got a karting event coming up in March. You are more than welcome to come along. There's a whole bunch of celebrity and pro drivers coming, so I'll have to tell you more about that off air no i fancy that actually if you can if you can squeeze my son in who's like because we don't get enough chance to do stuff together yeah. we've been off we used to go and do they used to do a thing at brands hatch where <clears throat> what was it what was the name of the the um Ginettas, the Ginetta yeah, yeah. racing mm. they used to do a celebrity thing at brands hatch and then at silverstone yeah and my son and i went there i actually almost once uh, i very nearly killed jean-luc picard actually there <laughs> 
came hurtling, <laughs> came hurtling along the straight. The notorious, uh, the no, now notorious Max Verstappen, um, <coughs> Lewis Hamilton corner at the end of the straight. <laughs> dived in a little bit excitedly and basically lost it sideways uh, and was correcting it. And as I came around the corner, it's only to find um, Patrick Stewart. That's hilarious. Uh, stationary side on in the middle of the track. And as I was heading towards his driver's door, all I could think of was that generations of, of lunatic Star Trek fans are going to hunt me down and kill me. John <laughs> <laughs> Luke Picard. There was this fantastic expression on his face as I came towards his door like this. He's thinking, he was just thinking, beam, beam me up, Scotty, beam me up. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I managed to squirrel around him and carry on. So, um, yeah, but my son and I used to do that. And um, fantastically, they had a, they had a Formula One, um, uh, like, a simulator there. And so we all had a go on it. And there were various professional drivers there. And my son, who at that stage, I think, was 18, probably, uh, but six foot five, sort of got on it and, um, and and basically wiped the floor with everybody, which sort of became a massive shock, especially to the many of the professional drivers that were on the course who were <laughs> to the second and third go. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I think we, we need a Knowles on the grid at some point. Absolutely. Although I do I do share sympathies with being tall. I'm six foot five and I've got size 16 feet. There's no way I could have been a bloody racing driver. I can't think. You don't, you, to be honest, you don't look unlike my middle son. Oh, really? Yeah. So where, where did your mum live? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. He's never met his dad. That's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> no comment. No comment. Moving on swiftly. Uh, Nick, uh, you, uh, you're, clearly, uh, you're clearly a motorsport nut. When did that first uh, arrive then? What got you into racing? Was it for, uh, when you were a young kid or, or did it sort of grow over yeah, time? Yeah, very young. I'm very unusually for Formula One. Very, very young. Because I was... Um, my, I had, um, my sister, eldest sister, who's... Uh, let's just leave it as a, a decent amount older than me. Um, we got married quite young, to, and her husband, they used to go off rally, rally racing and stuff, you know, these, like, um, rally drives, and they were big into the motor racing. So I used to sit down with him and watch stuff. Um, I, I suppose it must have been, thinking back on it, what they used to call grandstand, which was the sports uh. thing on BBC One that used to have, and they occasionally feature races like um, rally cross or Formula, occasionally Formula One or other types of racing from places like Crystal Palace and amazing circuits in those days. Um, and uh, and got into watching Formula One. The first race I can remember, I mean, remember being a fan of, um, of like Ronnie Peters and Emerson Fittipaldi and people like that. Um, and I was a massive fan from of, of Lotus and the you know the JPS. You know, I say it anymore, but the, you know that's the black and gold colours JPS Lotuses with Chapman. Um, so that was my first big interest. And then, of course, I remember, you know, watching the Suzuka race, which hilariously was probably the first example of Formula One management sort of interfering in a race to make it happen when it probably shouldn't or, or changing <laughs> all the safety rules about not racing because it was basically a monsoon all went out the window um, <laughs> because basically Bernie had sold the rights for the first live broadcast around the world and he wasn't about to lose all the money because it, it was all his money. It wasn't... A, wasn't the Formula One teams. He'd offered... This is a great history about this. I don't know whether you've ever read uh, Bernie's um, autobiography, which is very good. As, or, well, biography, not autobiography. Yes. Um, which is very brutally honest. Um, and he basically offered all the Formula One teams a share in actually paying for his television rights. And they all said, no, so you do it yourself. So he put all his own money up. So as a result, of course, when it became a massive success, he, he basically hung on to it all and all the teams were complaining that they didn't ever cut a slice of the action. He's like, well... You know, sod you and the pony you rode in on. I gave you the opportunity in the first place. But that Suzuka race, it, it, 
live, if it hadn't have got ahead, would have broken him and would have broken Formula One. So monsoon or not, the race was going ahead. And as we know, Lauda decided he, he you know he wanted no part of it after so soon after his own terrible accident yeah. and um pulled out. And so James Hunt ends up winning the championship. So yeah. amazing, amazing. When I was a kid, that was a, that was just brilliant jumping up and down. You know, like Graham, there was a series when I was born in 1962. Graham Hill won the F1 in the year I was born in 62. Yes, which doesn't make me 60 next year, by the way. Um, <laughs> and then there was a series of three or four, actually, Jackie Stewart and Clark. And, you know, there was, like, I think, three or four Brit wins in a row um, in Formula One when I was born. And then there was a bit of a gap. And so James Hunt coming through and winning it was a, was a massive deal. And then after that, I just became sort of obsessed with it and... Over the years of giving away many weekends and hours reading, winter testing and travelling to see races around the world. Probably my favourite one. I'm, I'm, am I going on too much? No, we, no, not at all. Keep going. So I remember standing at Brands Hatch when the F1 was at Brands Hatch and Senna sitting in the pits. I was up on Haddock Hill Bend. And um, basically in the qualifying in those days, basically you could choose how many laps you went out to do. There's none of this three-tier business. And Senna just sitting there watching the times, watching the times, watching the times, and then coming out, doing one warm-up lap, one flying lap to get the to get pole, and then going straight back in again, and everybody going absolutely mad. And as he came into, on the flying lap, as he came along the straight and into Paddock Hill Bend, literally everybody in the stand stood up because we all believed he wasn't coming out the other side of it. He went in so much faster than anywhere else into Paddock Hill Bend. And we all stood up and he just flew down that horrible, gut-wrenching, bottoming out uh, of the bottom of the hill there before he went up to Druids. Um, and it's just the most astounding lap. So to actually have seen, you know, Senna live at, um, at, at a fantastic, and it's a fantastic race course, but they decided it wasn't safe enough. So sadly, no more F1 at, at Brands Hatch. But um, what, a, what, yeah. a, what a privilege, though, to see that man in the flesh, you know. I'm so jealous yeah. of your memories. Like, that's, I mean, you, I mean I, I'm a fan of, obviously, Formula One now, and I've been to a couple of Grand Prix, but it just doesn't seem like you get those same kind of memories that, that you did back then as you do now. Yeah, there are remarkable moments, but it just seems like that era just had something special about it. I think so, but you must remember that they become sort of um, um, lionised over a period of time. Mm. And in the time that Senna, you know, Senna had a massive row with Chapman about being first in the team and not going out to race if he didn't like that or the other. And people forget because he's become like this great hero. And he was an amazing talent. I loved him as a racer at the time. Um, but um, but he was an utter pain for, for Chapman to manage. And um, and actually, when he threw his toys out of the pram, I remember um, reading comments in Autosport and things saying um, he should be dumped from the sport. Nobody should think they're bigger than the sport. So people at the time thought that he was an utter pain. And people, you know, a lot of people loved him, but also a lot of people thought he was an... Uh, he was a very divisive character, which has all been sort of glossed over in the years in between. Mm -hmm. But an extraordinary talent. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, and and and, and you could draw ruthless. You could draw a lot of parallels with with Lewis Hamilton, couldn't you? In terms of being such a polarizing um, character. Um, when when you look back at those years, how do you putting aside any any stuff that we'll come on to in terms of the FIA and and a manipulation of the sport and so on? When you look back at the, that era and you look at the the era we're in now. What do you prefer? Do you do you still enjoy Formula One, or did you love it back then? You know, the golden era, as it's so so called. Yeah, um, there are there are pluses and minuses uh, to both. I mean, so in the in the older era where they were, you know, they were using a, a, a gear stick shift, you know, like a proper gearbox, and and you know, you had to have one hand off the wheel to change gear, and 
Um, and the cars were really flighty, so you had to really drive them. There's a lot more hanging the tail out than there is these days. Although I have to say, in the last year or so, um, I think Max has brought some of that back in. He's, he still manages to hang the tail out and through corners and keep the speed on, which is quite something. Because anybody who does racing knows that, you know, the more sideways you're taking, the tyres, the slower you're going. Um, but it's but that's spectacular. Ronnie Peterson was a driver very much like that as well. So those old days, and the other thing was. You had gravel runoffs, and if you came off and hit the walls, the, you know the, the driver safety wasn't such that you were in a cocoon that was yeah. made, made it okay. Yeah, there's As a result, those that went to the edge were flirting with a higher level of danger than they are today. And these days, with the great big runoffs and uh, and you know the safety and the cockpit safety and the halo and all the rest of it, it is less punitive if you take massive risks. Yeah. So it's safer to take massive risks. Having said that, you only have to have, have a look at what happens. Uh, last year, with the you know the massive fire and um, uh, and and of course you know um, the year before with the uh, with the truck on the circuit the, um, the and that terrible situation that it is still a dangerous dangerous sport. Uh, I just think that maybe because of the massive runoffs and the and the safety facilities and because they constantly um, practice on computer simulators that are almost identical to what they do. I'm not sure that they actually have a full sense of of the danger that they're in when they're traveling around corners at 160 yeah. miles an hour. And, and until you have a big accident, um, I'm not sure that, that, that that will, but then, you know, racers for years and years and years have always said that the best, the best racers have to be people that um, have no imagination at all, because if you could imagine what it's like to hit a wall at 150 miles an hour, you wouldn't do it. You know, you have to have the ability to drive past a crash with a car on fire and put your foot down rather than ease off. And you know, a lot of drivers over the over the years have actually uh, have actually talked about that. I mean, Nigel Mansell, for example, is a lovely bloke. Um, I wouldn't say he's the most imaginative man in the world. He's a, a truly lovely man. I, I I know him and get on like a house on fire. But he holds one of the two great records in 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 F1 history. There are only two great records in F1 history. Both of them. Uh, held by Brits. Um, one is um, the only person to have won the Formula One car championship and the MotoGP bike championship is Surtees. Yep. He's the only man that's ever done it. And it doesn't, I think the only person that looked like he might do it was Rossi, but backed out of it when Schumacher was at McLaren, well, at uh, Ferrari. Because he definitely tested Ferrari. And I know for a fact, having spoken to the Ducati boys in the pits in the MotoGP that he was he was quick and Schumacher apparently said not whilst I'm in, in the team. <laughs> so um, and the other one of course was um, the other one of course was Mansell who is the only person who's ever won the Formula One World Championship and the IndyCar Championship back to back. Yeah, and it, it it's like those two amazing records. Yeah, amazing achievement. And and we might get a third next year if Lewis Hamilton does come back and he gets his eighth. But let's see now. Nick Knowles, let's get into it. You have been hailed as somewhat of an unlikely hero for your forthright views on the 2021 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. And this stems from the last few laps of the race. And if any of our listeners, for, for whatever reason, have been hiding under a rock and don't know what happened, in quick summary, Nicholas Latifi crashes after running on a dirty part of the track and the marshals go out to clear the wreckage. Mercedes didn't think there'd be a racing lap before the end of the race and we'd finish behind a safety car. Therefore, didn't bring Lewis in, so he didn't lose track position. Verstappen comes into the pits, gets a lovely new set of softs. He rejoins with five lap cars between himself and Lewis. And by the time the wreck of Latifi is cleared, there wasn't enough time to let all lap cars through and have a final lap of racing. So Michael Massey, the race director's choice, 
was to let just five lap cars between the two guys through, but not the other cars behind Max Verstappen. Safety car is then called in, a final lap showdown, and we all know what happened then. Max overtakes Lewis at the new turn five. Uh, dramatic end to the race. Now then, Nick Knowles, hit me with it. Give us your views. Well, um, I should start by saying that the, the reason I got involved was because I thought people that actually were in the sport um, and should have been speaking up were not, were strangely silent. And the more I thought about it, the more you start to un understand why. There are a series... Let me say this first of all. I was actually quite keen for there to be a new champion like everybody else, you know, because Mercedes' domination, whilst being an extraordinary thing, like the Ferrari domination during the time of, of Schumacher when um, Ross Braun was, uh, was, and, and John Todd were in, involved, is an amazing thing. You've got to hand it to them. They spent the money. They went out and researched. They built the engines. They built an amazing car. And, uh, you know, that Red Bull's fight back this year was absolutely astounding. And actually, I think if, if, if it had gone a different way of the race, if perhaps he'd been beaten on the final weekend or he crashed out or they'd been coming together or whatever, you know, there would have been, it would have been arguable either way. And it would have been, I think it's good for, for F1 uh, to have a new champion anyway. Having said that, you cannot just change the rules by which you race in order to achieve a more exciting end, which is what people have been saying. Now, Max fans, right, rabid Max fans, there are rabid Lewis Hamilton fans and there are rabid Max fans, and rabid Max fans just think it's all sour grapes and people should move on and get on with it. Um, but that's very often because a lot of the Max fans are young and new to the sport and genuinely don't understand uh, the, the, the rules of the racing. And many of them are using this thing that F1 used for saying, well, the race director has, uh, there is a rule that the race director can use the safety car however he wishes, which covers everything, which covers every other rule. Um, anybody who's done any reading into that knows that the rules that says that does not mean that he can circumvent pre-existing rules and or to the benefit of any single racer, and nor should he be able to, because if he can, essentially, he can decide who wins every race at the drop of a hat. The situation at the end was that um, the car needed clearing off the circuit. Mercedes did, had to consider whether to bring um, uh, Lewis into a change of tyres. They realised, with a number of laps that were left under the safety car, that either all the cars would be allowed to pass, in which case it would take a lap, and then the safety car comes in after a lap, that's the rule. Um, and they race after the safety, a lap after the safety car comes in. Therefore, they're not going to clear. Or that he's not going to allow cars to pass, in which case you've got five back markers between uh, Max and Lewis, at which point in a lap, he's not going to be able to pass them, even if they get out of the way, because his racing lines could be compromised by the five of them uh, in the process. Also, if he lets them pass, then if he does let them pass and they do get a lap in, then the, the two cars between Max and uh, Carlos in third will also go. So Carlos will be attacking Max whilst Max is trying to attack, attack Lewis. He doesn't get just carte blanche on a new set of tyres because Carlos was in a position where he could have attacked and actually gone for it too. In the end, neither of those things happened. And what he decided to do was just to allow the five cars between first and second and not the two cars between second and third through or any of the other ones through in order... Uh, to create some racing the end. He didn't make them wait a lap after the safety car came in, um, which he actually, a year earlier, during another race in these circumstances where the teams have been on the line to him saying, you've got to get the safety car in, he said, I cannot circumvent the rule. Mm -hmm. 
which is that I can't bring in the safety car earlier because, so he'd already stated in recorded messages that he couldn't. So it's clear that actually what happened was he removed, he changed the rule. There is no way going forward that any team can plan how to end a race if the racing director won't abide by the rules. If they thought he would not abide by the rules, they would have brought him in for a change of tyres. But you can't assume that the race director is going to amend the rules and break them in favour of one particular competitor. If you allow that to go forward, and this is the important thing for Max fans as well, this is not actually about Max or Lewis. This is about the fact that next year they could do it to Max in order to make somebody else win the championship because it's more interesting if you have another world champion. You know, at any stage in the future, it could be it could be changed. And once you get to that point, you're no longer in a verifiable sport. You're in an, in an entertainment industry. And people said to me, well, it made it, well, if it, if it finished under the safety car, it would have been boring, much more interesting to have a last lap race. But under that basis, then when Usain Bolt went for his last triple-triple on the 200 metres, should they have allowed two or three of the competitors to cut the corner across the middle of the track in order to make the end more interesting? Yeah, it's, it's so difficult because... You know, there is this sort of blurred line and a lot of people saying exactly what you said. Is it, uh, is it still a sport? And it, you sort of start to think back to uh, there were times in Bernie's era, I think, where they were talking about doing things like putting sprinkle. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. ...on the track to create artificial wet races so that it increased the action and made the show more interesting. Um, there was also a line of thought, I think it was um, during the commentary, Martin Brundle said it um, first, about red flagging the race and starting again. But then I suppose others have said in, in um, re response to that, well, the Latifi crash under normal circumstances, if it wasn't, you know, if it was the second race of the season, there's no way that crash would cause a red flag and you'd restart the race. But my no, I think there's a rule about red flags anyway. It's something like if two thirds of the race is completed, I think it's two thirds of the race or three quarters of the race is completed, you don't restart anyway. Do you, do and these things, you know, and people are saying, oh, well, you're just being picky about the rules. But the truth of the matter is, if you don't, if you're not picky about the rules, then it means that the people who run the sport, I mean, like I've already said next year, I, I'm, I can pretty much guarantee now that next year there will be three or four drivers in contention for the, for the finale, because that will be a much more interesting finish. And if you're actually trying to make a series that works on Drive to Survive, which is where all the money's coming from, or, you know, then that's what you're going to do. And, that's fine. If, if it is a panto, that's fine. And it's still going to be entertaining. It's just we all know it's a panto. But if, but if it's not, then you have to have the rules and they have to be abided by. I don't think actually, a lot of people talking about whether Christian Horner affected the end with what he said or whether, um, whether Toto should have said what he said. I don't think they should talk to the race director during the course of the race anyway. They, but they, they I also that, don't think they? that... I don't think they had any effect on the race. I think... Massey was under pressure, not from those guys. I think he was under pressure from 
uh, from the owners of the FIA, possibly then um, uh, Liberty Media. Yeah, I think to actually make an interesting end to the race, rather than they were probably screaming at him, "Do not let this race end under a, under a you know we've got the whole world watching. Do not let this race end under a safety car." So, you know, he knew he couldn't get all the cars out, but it is there's no two ways about it. So you've got that situation. What, what you do about that? I mean, impossible, impossible to say. The current situation is. Um, <laughs> is that the FIA are currently launched an investigation into what happened at the end. So currently the FIA are investigating the FIA. So, <laughs> so you know, turkeys don't vote for Christmas. There's not going to, not, nothing interesting is, or, or worthwhile or incisive is going to come out of that. Never has done in the history of the sport. There's no reason why it should now. Um, but what bothers me and the reason I got, uh, got animated on social media is because the commentators and journalists involved with the sport on television, not the, interestingly, not the print journalists. The print journalists in places like Motorsport and uh, Autocar and various other places um, have written really in, interesting pieces and actually have spoken out about what they think about it. But the journalists that we rely on on screen have really gone, have been extraordinarily lukewarm on it. They've, you know, they've, they've said, oh, well, you know, here at Karun, for example, as an example, and Karun was good enough to answer me, actually. Yeah, I saw But it. said, here are two fairer ways that it might have ended. Well, never mind fairer ways that it might have ended. Just say, call the way that it did end, you know, entirely unfair and outside the rules. Um, and various other people, and they said, oh, we did write articles. We're waiting on the result of the, you know, unfortunately, what it looks like is that you actually have an industry where, all of the people that are actually working on it are, are paid directly or indirectly by Liberty Media and all people who have contracts with Liberty Media. And actually speaking up about it is not going to is not going to be good for the sport. I think the the lack of um, uh, serious comment and, and taking to task of Liberty Media and the FIA and everyone um, by those people that we rely on as you know journalists of the sport. Um, suggest that what they're trying to do is wait until the winter testing comes out, the new cars are launched, and everybody gets excited about the new season and we all move on. I, I can't do that, and a lot of people can't, because you can't. it's not a verifiable, verifiable sport anymore if you can't rely on interference from the governing body uh, to choose a winner. Yeah. Um, and look, I don't think you can retrospectively give Lewis his championship <laughs> back, and I think he knows that, and I think everybody realistically knows you can't change the result. But I don't think there's going to be any meaningful change to it. And, I, and you know, that, that ability to interfere in the race. And so, you know, as, as somebody who's followed it for 50 years, you know, and has been spent a lot of money, like a lot of people traveling around the world to these to watch races, it, you know, that investment in by paying for your Sky subscription or whichever way you, you, you want to go, um, that, that investment of the fans is really, really important. And actually the way that, They've been let down not just by the sport, but by the people who they rely on to talk about it. It, it is a fundamental break in trust where you go, well, can I trust anything else going forward? And I don't look, don't get me wrong, I do understand it. You know, if you're employed by the, the sport and it's a you know, it's a big circus and it's a great circus, you know, if you've been in the paddock, you know yeah. what an amazing circus it is to be part of it. To have an all areas pass and to be a spokesman for the, the sport is amazing. And so, and you know, who would speak up? and lose their accreditation or lose their job. You know, Johnny Herbert has spoken up, and it'd be interesting to see whether he's still part of the circus next year because he's been good enough to speak up and, and say what he thinks. But would you would you give up your pass? Would you give up your position within, the, within that amazing circus? So I can understand, but I think also they're going to be 
they must be hugely um, conflicted inside with not being able to talk about what a what, what a shambles and, and and essentially what an unfair ending it was. There's no other way of looking at it. And again, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get trolled by you know Max fans and people <laughs> who just say, oh, you know, it's over, move on. But I'm actually, to be honest, I'm actually more of a, I'm, if I hadn't wanted anyone to win the championship, I'd like Lando to win it. I'm a big McLaren yeah. fan. I always have <laughs> I'd love to, Lando to do well. I'd, I love Danny Rick. There are other that great Russia races. was painful for you. I think Max is brutal in the same way that Schumacher was, in the same way Lewis has, Lewis has been over the years. That's why they keep coming together. Um, I think it's all good. But, it, the, but the commentators should be speaking out about But Nick, Nick, so... I, 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 first of all, I'll just say I completely agree. I think it, it was unfair, unjust, but it's not also not the first um, example that we've seen, you know, uh, unfair um, rules perhaps coming out from the stewards room in terms of how we go racing. Just look earlier on in that race where, you know, Hamilton cut the chicane, you know, to keep position in front of Max uh, at the start of the race and didn't have to give the position back, but instead suddenly he'd given up the time he was lost. No, I agree. But just, just, just to interrupt, just briefly. The- yeah. All of those ones. I mean, there was a great example two races earlier where, um, uh, where oh my god, my brain's gone dead. Um, well, the great Spanish racer who's still racing, who's too old. Yeah, well, that, that I think that I think my other example was I think it was Russia where Fernando Alonso said, "I'll yeah. just cut, I'll just cut turn one because as long as I go behind the bollard, it's all fine by the FIA." But I'll still well, gain uh, opening times. lap. They always opening say, lap. and they yeah, opening lap it. is always racing incident, isn't it? Because they say everyone's jogging. So basically, Alonso went, well, if it's all racing in incident, I'll basically ignore all the corners. And he made up about seven places. Exactly. So, so that, that on its own just, just shows how the rule book absolutely needs scrutinising, looking at, and, and, and being redone. I, I can agree with you more there. It's a bit... In, everyone complains about consistency, of course, and I think that that is really difficult to do in terms of how it you apply different. the rules because every track is different. Every incident is slightly different. Yep. But... Either way, this kind of, you know, and I should probably disclaim this, as somebody who is employed by Formula One, I, I do the, some of the support categories. It, it, in terms of in speaking out about um, what happened and in terms of having, you know, holding the FIA to account, I think it's, I think it's a little unfair in terms of the people like, I suppose, with the Sky lot, you've got people like Simon Lazenby or Will Buxton, who works for F1 directly, they're, those people, Rachel Brooks, they're, they're, they're different, I think, in my opinion, to in terms of the driver pundits. The driver pundits are there to absolutely give their opinions and their views. And I do believe they did give their opinions and views at the time when they were employed to do so on, on the screens or whatever. But I don't I think, think they did. I think, I think, I don't I'm pretty think sure Rosberg was probably the most, most outspoken. Everybody else uh, just talked about how it was just, you know, well, you know, difficult, but, you know, the, like Karun said, there were two fairer ways to finish than that one. How about just saying that the way that finished was unfair? You know, like, I, I, I read Martin, I'm a massive fan of Martin Brundle over the years, and I know him, he's a great man, a great man and um, fantastic journalist, and, you know, is like up there uh, in, in, in as probably the greatest sort of grid walk journalist. And, 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 but again, in his piece, he wrote the piece at the end of the season, which was, you know, uncomfortable with the way it ended. But, but you see the, the examples that you gave, the racing incidents, for example, the one that happened in Brazil where, he, where like Max went right off the circuit, not only pushed him out, out of the race line, but went right off the circuit. Mm. You know, this diving in, whether the, whether um, uh, Lewis took Max off at Silverstone, whether Max could have, I mean, interestingly there, um, Kimi actually did exactly the same overtaking manoeuvre as Lewis did actually during that, during that uh, race and, and 
and the guy outside him didn't cut in and, and, and stop. So they're open to interpretation. All of those things, it needs the stewards to go, was he, did he turn in, didn't he turn in? Was it unfair, was it unfair? Those are all slightly different from, I'm only going to let five cars between the first and second go, not the entire, either all the cars or none of the cars. You can't just pick five out in order to give one racer an advantage over another. That's a different kind of decision and rule to who was responsible for that coming together in that corner. That will always happen in racing because you've got two people who don't want to give way, and that will be the case. Whether you then, but the stewards, Mercedes could not plan for the steward changing the rule. Yeah. And if you've got a rule, if you've got a situation where the stewards could not plan for the change of the rule, any racing incident on the circuit, brake testing or not, um, going in too deep in the corner, driving someone off the circuit, um, all of those things are things that the stewards, it's a matter of opinion and their professional opinion having raced for years. Changing a rule that is impossible to, you know, like if you go into a corner, during the last few uh, races, Lewis had to decide whether to challenge or to give way because he knew that if Max and him crashed, then Max would be champion. So he had to judge how well he could get into that corner or pass Max or not, which is why he kept on backing out and not keeping his foot in because he knew if it worked. So, that, and that's all part of racing. You know, Max knew that and was actually keeping his foot in and, and, and Lewis had to pull out. You could say Max was too bombastic. He just had the points advantage and knew that if he kept his foot in, Max, Lewis had to pull out. That's all racing. Changing a rule where you give a five, you know, where you give an advantage to another car is you can't plan for as a team. Mercedes can't plan for as a team. So how can it possibly be fair? Nick, I, no, I agree. And look, they've already they, they've already scrapped the uh, contact to Michael Massey over the radio, which wasn't yeah. actually as direct as the on-screen graphics made out. They don't literally have a button that can go through to Michael Massey. It goes through to his team, who then decide whether it goes to Massey yeah. or not. But they're already scrapping that. So that's surely one example already. Okay, you know, we that's clearly that's not going to happen anymore. That's done. But I, I don't know, and, and I, in terms of the on-track action, I, I do, it's hard to disagree with you. You know, it, it's, it's unfair. It's never happened before, you know, in terms of the lap cars being moved out of the way. It didn't just disadvantage um, uh, Lewis Hamilton, but everyone, you know, Carlos Sainz could have well been uh, challenging, as, as you suggested earlier, you know, and it, yeah. and it screwed over him and, and you know, uh, people further back as well and allowed for some people to make gains. You saw the two Alpha Tauri cars managed to really um, <clears throat> make their way up the field because they didn't have to worry about being lapped. Um, so in terms of that side of things, absolutely, 100%, couldn't agree more. I just don't know, I don't know what you want um, the, in this current period of time, the, the journos and the pundits to be doing, because I, 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 I can, I'm trusting that the ones who have the, the clout and the followers and who are on screen on Sky, the ones who are there to give their opinion, have done so... In, in terms of what they would normally do. They haven't gone out of their way to do anything controversial. They're, they're there. They've said what they've seen. Whereas the Simon Lazenby's and, and the broadcasters, I don't believe are there to give their opinion. They're believed to, I believe they're there to ask the questions. They're not there to say what's right and what's wrong. They're there well, to ask questions a, and get clarity. That is true to a certain extent. If you, if you call yourself a presenter, but if you call yourself a journalist... Okay, ah, so so that this is the line you need to cross then. But into those who okay, those those who call themselves journalists, do you want them in this current period of time in the off season of the winter to be tweeting the at FIA every day to be getting yes. answers? But what's that going to do right now? We can't well, do anything until they publish these results. I don't know, I don't know results. if you remember, but okay, so last year, year before, 
football, the European FIA and everybody decided there was uh, going to be a European Super League where the super teams were going oh, to yeah. come together to make a great Super League. Gary Lineker, uh, all of the, all of the p- football pundits, the presenters and the football pundits and all of the people involved went public and said, this is not going to happen. You know, the, the organisers, the, the, the um, uh, FIFA actually said, uh, were threatening them all, that, you know, you go along with it, you stand against it, you'll be out of the loop. Um, super teams, if you pull out, when, the, when one of the super teams, like, re- realised what was going on and pulled out of it, well, you ought to be excluded from this, you're not going to get the money, we're going to, you know, massive bullying tactics. But all of those people who work in the sport, who would have all lost their jobs if that had succeeded because they would have made sure they didn't keep their jobs because they'd all spoken out against it, all chose to speak out against it because it would have damaged the sport and damaged the sport for the punters and the uh, and the supporters to allow that kind of thing to happen. So they all spoke up against it and they relentlessly spoke up against it until it actually until it fell down. What you have here is not again. We've got to go back to people. People would think that I'm actually trying to get Lewis reinstated as world champion. I don't. They'll think that I'm some kind of Lewis, mega Lewis Hamilton. But I mean. He, you know, amazing driver. I've followed him all his career. Incredible what he's done for the sport. And actually, within all the things that he's doing um, socially within the sport as well. Nonetheless, um, I'm, not a, I'm not a Ray Good Lewis fan. And if this had happened the other way around, I guarantee you, and I swear to you, I would be as angry and saying, you cannot allow this to stand. And it's for the, 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 the pundits, exactly as with the, with the football, when they were suggesting a, a, a Super League where the Super League could interfere with the games to create a Super League to the expense of uh, all the other teams in football, that they spoke up and said, this is not going to happen. You cannot allow this to happen. This is unfair. You cannot interfere and just choose to have a more interesting ending at the expense of the veracity of the race. So somebody has to be speaking up and constantly, currently, um, harrying F1 and FIA and to, in order to make sure that they understand that they must not interfere in the race to give one or another a chance. Otherwise, next year, they'll just choose, you know, they can choose who they want to. Under the circumstances you had, if if Mercedes had come in, the race could have ended up finishing under the safety car and Max would be champion. If they don't come in, they could clear the five people to give Max fresh tyres directly behind Lewis for a, a last lap of the race. It was impossible for Mercedes to make a decision that Michael Massey and uh, F1 couldn't circumvent. And you say that's like, okay, that's a conspiracy theory. Fair enough. But if you can't, if you don't know what your officiators are going to do to give an advantage to one competitor and you can't plan for it, you don't have a sport. You actually have, um, well, essentially, you have a motor, you have a very fast WWE going on. Yeah. Which is fine because it's still going to be a great spectacle. But as long as the paying fans know they're paying for Panto and they're not actually paying for a sport. Do you think... And it's um, annoying for people like me who followed it for 50 years. I feel cheated, and a lot of fans do, that not only has the sport done it, but they've been pretty much allowed to get away with it. And if this was football, I mean, look at the way that the rugby authorities were hounded over the Saracen situation. Look at, you know, in any sport, you've got to call out, in you know, race fixing. Look at in cricket with, with, with match fixing in cricket. You know, there were people yeah. who lost their entire careers and, and countries that were suspended. I think it's a, it's, it's a fascinating subject. And I think it's very refreshing to hear someone who's not within that circus, per se, 
for someone from slightly one step removed, having such a strong opinion. And this is the beauty of motorsport. You know, people do feel passionately about it. And I think it's great that you're using your platform to speak out about this, this issue, which is, is clearly an issue. What well, we are rapidly running out of time, but one last question I wanted to put to you. In, in, with regards to Michael Massey, he, the, the Twitter mobocracy has got on his back, obviously. It was always going to happen. Do you think he will and should keep his job for 2022? Um, I'm, I'm in a bit of a quandary about this, to be honest. I mean, I think the decision that he made was was actually was was terrible. I don't think he's he's really kept control of the races very well over the year. I think it's difficult, obviously, because you know, like Charlie Whiting, and you, you know, whose shoes do you step into? Like, it's ridiculous to step into giant shoes. A man who, for years and years and years, was respected by the entire paddock. Um, I think it's very difficult. I also don't particularly like Twitter pylons. I actually, at the beginning, I was I was agree about the situation about uh, and, and the decision he made but in the end really you know if 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 the FIA had said that was a terrible mistake we shouldn't have done that there might have been something towards it I think that FIA believe and, and F1 believes if it actually either sacks him or um, or um, that they make any change around him that it might undermine undermine Max's world championship uh, which already is, you know, like is, is slightly tarnished by the whole disastrous situation anyway, which is really awful. Because, you know, he's a lad who's, who's fought really hard. has been unbelievable quick. That lap that he just failed to pull off in the second to last race. Oh, yeah. In the was one of the greatest yeah. laps I think I've ever seen in Formula One. There is a real race. You know, he's determined. He's aggressive. He's like Schumacher. He keeps his foot in. He dares anybody else to keep their foot in too. Um you know, like, and he, and he should be celebrating his first world championship with, with you know, with trumpets and everybody should be looking at his great. And, but it's tarnished, it's damaged. And it's, I, I don't like Twitter pylons. I don't, you know, I, I, I'd be surprised if Michael decides to come back. I'm not sure why he would want to come back into that. But then, you know, if he feels he didn't do anything wrong, um, then maybe you will. I don't know. It's a difficult one, that. It's a difficult one. It's, like, it's hard, isn't it? At, at the end of the day, it's, the, it's for the sport to sort out, not just one individual. Well, I don't believe that Michael wanted to give one racer an advantage, but by breaking the rules under whatever pressure he was under, he did. Um, and, and I think that means that you actually, unless you correct or say it was a mistake, you don't have a, a sport that people can trust anymore. And that's a great shame because... You know, normally at this time of year, I'd be looking for winter testing results and I'd be looking to see what the new cars look like and I'd be all excited about how close it's going to be. It's probably going to be a great year and then McLaren looking dangerous, other teams looking like the change in the rules and the manufacturing and the designs, it looks like it's going to bring people close together, the lower wind, you know, the downforce, the less drag so people can get closer. It looks like it should be a great season. What's your ideal outcome then, Nick? For, for you and the other fans who feel like you who are thinking of turning off next year, what, what, what's, what do you want to see? What's going to make you go, okay, fine, I, you know, I, I, I'm back into Formula One mode now. What's, gonna, what's it going to take? Is there, an, is there a comeback from this? Yeah, I think they need to admit that they'd actually, that they made a massive mistake, that the ending was unfair. Uh, that, it did, that it was to the detriment to one, of one driver in specifically... Um, and uh, uh, and an apology uh, to uh, Lewis and Mercedes, um, and then maybe we can all move on with that. Yeah, it wasn't Max's fault. He was given the great great opportunity. Max drove a, drove a great year, and he and he drove as good a race as he possibly could uh, with the equipment that he had. 
um, and was there at the end in the mix to be able to take advantage of that decision. I don't, you know, I don't hold Max responsible. I don't hold Christian Horner responsible. Christian was just doing what he needed to do to promote his team and um, and to, you know, to 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 be a, a um, a team manager. I think he's, and he's, you know, he's a great advocate, a great sportsman. I believe in all of those things. Um, but this, but, but Formula One needs to say something about the fact that it was grossly unfair and grossly unfair on one particular driver and one particular team. Um, you know, people go, who cares about Mercedes? They won all of the, all these, and they won the, the, the one the drivers' championship. It's not about that. It's about the sport being trustable, and it's not at the moment. And a lot of people don't trust the sport and believe that it was manipulated on purpose. And with that, you end up with a sport that you can't call a sport anymore. It's no longer a sport. It's a, it's, it's a circus, it's a pantomime, it's a, it's a fantastic spectacle, but it's not a sport. I think uh, I think we're going to have to get Mr. Nick Knowles on um, as a regular guest on this podcast after this. It's been uh, it's been brilliant to hear your views, and thank you for being so honest about it. Thank you for um, joining us on the line at such short notice um, when we approached uh, you guys um, just yesterday. Um, it's been really interesting hearing your views. We could talk about it for hours, um, but we must let you get back on with your day. Um, but Nick, honestly, absolute pleasure having you on the show. We must do it again. We'll get in touch about our karting day because we'd love to see you there. It should be a great day out. We're supporting the Brain Tumor Charity and Movember. Um, for now... Listen, if you, have to, if you have to withdraw that invitation because you've got various Formula One people coming on, I will understand. <laughs> no, I think, I, I think it'll add to the, it'll add to the show. Yeah, it'll we can, add to it, We yeah. can make our own little pantomime. It's going to be brilliant. Um, but Nick Knowles, for now... Thank you very much for joining us on the Motormouth podcast. I think it's going to be really interesting. I'm going to get another wave of hate from, um, from the Max haters. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official, and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans, and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy we're also proud to be supporting the brain tumor charity too so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the motor mouth podcast